Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Woodzik. This is episode 131. I'm so excited because Jasmine Joshua returns. They came on the podcast to talk all about their current production, Reboot Theater's production of Sweeney Todd, which runs through May 31st. Y'all, I flew all the way from Denver to Seattle just to see opening night of the show. It did not disappoint. I am in love with the production that they've created, and if you're in the Seattle area, I highly encourage you to check it out before the run closes on May 31st. And if you're listening to this before you go to see Sweeney Todd, before May 31st, remember that Jules, Mirtha, and I are still, we just have a little bit more money to raise to cover the costs of creating our new show, Hoops of Steel, which is a queer, reimagining indie rock musical where Laertes and Ophelia both leave and head to France, and what the butterfly effect of Ophelia leaving Elsinore has in the Hamlet narrative. It's super fun. We have great swag. We'll have a link to that in the episode description. Hoops of Steel! But now, without further ado, please enjoy episode 131, Jasmine Joshua Returns. This podcast is Jasmine Joshua Returns! (laughs) Jasmine, welcome back to the podcast. I am delighted to be back. Thank you for having me back. So I had the delight of seeing uh, Reboot's version of Sweeney Todd on opening night. Yeah. And such, from the marketing to just the energy in the room, like such exciting and dynamic stuff is happening. Uh, and so let's give folks the info on tickets because tickets are going quickly and we want yeah. to make sure that they are able to get in the door. And then I would love to go chronologically from choosing this to the due diligence that you did to prep mm-hmm. for the inclusive casting work. But if totally. folks, folks want to get their tickets, where should they pause the podcast and hop on to right now? Yes. Or, or to check out the uh, Rave Stranger review that just came oh out my that God. I will link to in the episode description. Yay. Yes. So uh, you can either go to RebootTheater.org. Um, and you can get your tickets there, or you can go to Brown Paper Tickets, um, and we are running through uh, for two more weeks. Awesome. Yeah. So if you're Seattle-based, y'all, I was so excited about this show, I came from Denver to frickin' yes. see this. Frickin', because this is a PG-rated, pg I'm so glad you said we'll that. I was so can, I'll follow your lead. <laughs> like, that's, that's I mean, the thing. But sometimes folks want to send it to certain folks who don't. Like swearing, so totally fair. I I curse a lot. I'll do my darndest. It's up to you. It's up to you, my <laughs> friend. Um. So Sweeney Todd, one of my favorite shows. Oh, it's so actually good. one of the first. I was cast as Pirelli, and it was really ah. an odd thing because it was like I was two. I was twenty two, so I was a little too old to play Joanna, a little too young to play Lovett, perhaps. Right, and so. It was like okay, pray. Um, and I had a lot of I had a lot of fun. And my friend Jules Murtha, who's my co-writer on Hoops of Steel, they were cast as uh, Pirelli and oh my Donald Champlin, who is on Crazy Ex Girlfriend. When they did the Michael Severus Patty Lupone reboot, she was Pirelli, and so 
it's, I don't know, I think Pirelli has some, like, queer, gender-bendy magic intrinsically oh, written in, perhaps just because of the way it is vocally. Like, you have yes. to sing from a tenor to soprano range yes. to be able to sing that role as written. But anyway, not not to go down the Pirelli rabbit hole, but a show that I know very well, I would like to return. I actually would love to do a version where the two leads play Sweeney and Lovett and switch every night. Ooh. Like... Oh, I know, right? That'd be ru- that'd be so hard. It'd be so hard, but it's happening before I die. Like, uh, that would be fun, like because I would, would yeah, because I would love to play both. It'd be nice to just do it all in one you go. And, you and me, kid. We'll, oh. we'll we'll figure it out. So mm-hmm. I want to go from so like at what point do you as uh, artistic director of reboot decide to do Sweeney? So I want to take. I want to also like I want not only to promote the show but to give folks a practical guide to. We're setting out with the intention and then actually putting it into practice sure. of inclusive casting practices. And so that starts with selecting the show. Yes. So um, Reboot's mission is to test uh, test <laughs> new interpretations of established works through non-traditional casting, design, and methods yet to be discovered, which I tacked on to cover my butt <laughs> so that I could do whatever I wanted whenever I wanted. Yes. Uh, so um, when picking a show... Uh, to me, so, I, I, when I first started Reboot, it pretty much was just about the casting um, because, you know, I was new to producing and I wasn't out as a non-binary person yet and I didn't know a lot of gender stuff. I was still kind of, like, just, like, in awkward girl land. Um, so I didn't really have the vocabulary or the understanding of how much more you can do. So I really just stuck with casting. And as we've, uh, uh, you know, evolved as a company, we've started to say, like, well, okay, like, non-traditional casting is great, especially as some of the bigger houses or even the mid-level houses are starting to experiment with that. We're like, okay, so then what makes Reboot Reboot? Is it just that we do casting? And that's why we added on design and other methods. So when choosing a show for me, I don't worry about what show I choose because I'm always going to cast it however I want, obviously with permission, but like that's always going to be the baseline. And I can do that to any show. Any show can be cast with whoever you, you know, with anyone. So that was never a worry. That's not a consideration for me when I pick a show. But the next part that I think about is, okay, well, how else can we take this story and reboot it like what else um what else can we do to this story without breaking the story because we want the audience to understand it and we want the actors to be true to their characters and to not you know like do a gimmick that doesn't ring true and so when i think of that like what are uh what are shows that you can kind of mess with without breaking them i think of like okay so what are the shows that everyone loves that when you go in, you have a preconceived notion of what that show is going to look like and how you're going to feel when you watch it. And you know, you know, there are some people who know certain shows, you know, backward and forward. And Sweeney Todd is one of those shows where people like love Sweeney Todd. Right. It is an established, like, I mean, it's Sondheim, it's dark, it's gross, but it's kind of funny. It's heartbreaking. I mean, it's got everything. It's a gorgeous show. But when you say Sweeney Todd, everyone knows what that looks like. You know what Sweeney Todd looks like. I know what Sweeney Todd looks like. It's set in Victorian. Everyone's going to have kind of pale faces and kind of dead makeup. Um, you know, like there's like kind of ghouls in it. Like, you know what the judge looks like. You know what Joanna looks like. You know what Sweeney Todd looks like. Well, what if you didn't? 
Right. <laughs> what if you didn't know what Sweetie Todd looked like? And that's kind of what where I went. Now, I had just worked with uh, Julia Griffin, who's the director for Our Sweetie Todd, on a show called Swallow about, I don't know, like a year and a half ago. Um, and Julia is a very talented director and is very, like, like to the script, to the page kind right. of a director. And I n also happen to know that she is the queen of blood, that that is what she loves to do. She puts blood on stage any which way that she possibly can. So obviously when I was mm -hmm. thinking of Sweeney Todd, I was like, you know what? Here's the thing. This is a director who does not do musicals, so has no baggage at all about what Sweeney Todd is or right. isn't. This is a director who you know, works in straight play land. It also works in Shakespeare land. And like Sweeney Todd, if not, you know, it's a Greek tragedy. It's a Shakespeare, like it is, you know, like that story is so classic. I'm like, great. So it's not going to be like, like I would never give Julia like state fair. Right. right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm like, so the story is something that it would be in Julia's wheelhouse. And even though like, but she had never seen it. Interesting. Which is, you know, a very risky thing. Um, sure. So in any case, so like that's, so I started, but, but again, so, uh, you know, I paired her with Amy Hong, who is our music director, who has done Sweeney Todd before, who is a brilliant musician and a brilliant um, vocal coach and brilliant in almost every other way. Like Amy Hong is the best. And I'm like, great. So I will pair the music person because this is very difficult music and I didn't want to like, you know, shortchange the show. And I'll pair them with someone who, ha who has never seen, you know, who's coming at this with kind of new eyes. So like, so that was kind of the beginning of it. It's like, okay, so I have this show that everyone knows what it looks like. And there's a way to do Sweeney Todd. Everyone sees it. Like, that's what it looks like. That's what it is. And there are, you know, better or worse production of, of it, depending on your artist. But that's pretty much what it looks like, right? No matter where you see it. Right. So I want to subvert that. So how am I going to do that? Okay. Can I pause yes, you right please. now? So when you're... Because one of the things, you were so instrumental in helping us put together our materials for when Andrea Prestonario and I presented at Statera about mm -hmm. queering musical theater. And so, like, even asking for the licensure, what is what are the questions that you ask of... Is it MTI that holds the rights for this? Sw yes, Sweeney is MTI. MTI. How... I just would love to give folks the template for, like, how you approach that. Yeah. Because would it have been a no-go if you would have approached MTI and they're like, yeah, you can't change any of the casting. Correct. I would have not done the show. Cool. So how do you approach that conversation so, with MTI? So. Because that's probably one of the first things that happens 100%. I want to do this show. 100%. We don't announce anything until we get right. a stamp of okay yeah. um, from the licensing houses. So once I kind of knew like what d the director wanted, and w w w there are a couple different ways to do it. If you're just like, I want to do this show, and there is one person that I, in order for my concept to work, that's the person that I need to change, fine. Um, we used to go about it that way, but again, as I've like learned more about myself and as I've like, you know, opened my mind a little more um, and been less afraid of like what people will think or what people will say, um, I'm like, whatever, tell, you tell us what we can do. So I, I'm in a more of like, let's find out what we can do before we pick what we want to do, right? right? So that's how I approach it. So I, I pick the show, I kind of talk to a director, so I kind of have an idea of a concept, and then I go to the licensing house, and that's either MTI, Musical Theater uh, International, or it's Tams Whitmark, or it's you know whoever else, uh, Dramatist Guild, San French. And what I say now is, hi, my name is Jasmine Joshua, I work for Reboot, we work with 
non-traditional casting, particularly we work with queer and transgender artists. I am not interested in changing a single word, plot point, pronoun, name, anything about this script. It's going to be exactly as it is on the page. Knowing that, which do I have permission to cast the show in a non-traditional way? And then I used to say that, and then people would be like, well, you can't do non-traditional. It has to be the way it is. And I, so that's why it's important to reiterate, I am not going to do a non-traditional show. I'm going to do Sweeney Todd. Sweeney is a he, him. Love it is a she, her. The beggar woman is a beggar woman. Yep. But I'm going to, but so I'll usually give an example within the cast. So I'll say like, for example, if I, I usually pick, you know, I usually pick a, uh, a side character so that they don't freak out. I'll say yeah. like, for example, if I were to cast Pirelli with a non-cis male, would that be permissible? Even if we say that Pirelli as a character is still a man and I have to spell it out for them. And if I spell it out saying like, Oh yeah, no, no, Pirelli, yeah, the manliest man who ever man, not a problem, you and me are on the same page, not worried about it, script, same exactly. But what if I just didn't cast a cis male? Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. And usually they're like, oh yeah, if you don't change anything, you can do whatever you want. And that has been, I mean, I'll actually, I should read you like the most recent uh, response I got. Sometimes, like with one of the shows that we did, we only got permission to change certain characters. For Fly By Night, they were like, you can gender bend this character and you can gender bend this character and everyone else period. must be, period. Okay. Everyone else must be a cis actor. And I wonder, yeah. it was the second show that I had ever done and I wonder if I had worded it as I word it now, if they would have been more open to so it. So it's been a learning curve for you as a 100%. But I, I mean, y'all are doing the damn work and so like, that's why I want to like, show these yeah. cards to other producers so that they can get excited. 100%. I love the idea of you pulling up the email right now. Yes, how I'm going to read. Because I would think that over time, and especially in this current market, like there are more and more questions yep. of this nature that are coming up. So this is literally what I wrote to Tam's Wolfmark, and I can say this. So we have announced we're going to be doing, ca- our next show is going to be Cabaret, which I'm super excited about. So we, pit- we were like, we want to do Cabaret Let's see what we can do to cabaret before right. we figure out. You know what I mean? Exactly. Let's let's find out what the uh, what the options are. Because if they say you can change everyone but Sally Bowles, or if they say you can only change Sally Bowles, like that's just going to yeah. change how we think about it, right? Right. So this is what I asked. I said, "Hello, Natty. Our guy. He's not. Our actually, I have no idea what kind of a person Natty is. Um, we faxed our payment. Blah blah. I have a question about casting." We are a theater company that uses non-traditional casting, focusing on hiring transgender actors. If we change absolutely no words, lyrics, plot points, or literally anything about the script and the score, do we have permission to use non-traditional casting? For example, if we cast Fräulein Kost with a non-cis woman, but still referred to her in the script as she, her, etc. To reiterate, the script would not be changed in any way, and the roles would be played honestly as the script points out. Thank you. I wrote that in, and then I got back. Hello, Jasmine. Thank you for your email. Deborah processed your thing, blah, blah. We would have no objection to the casting as you described below, as long as the character's name, pronouns, and presentation do not change, and of course, any of the dialogue. I personally love non-traditional castings such as this, so I'm happy to confirm permission. 
Let me know if I can be of any further assistance. Can we dig into that a little bit? I would love to. Okay. So, all right. So, the things, the recipe, this gets me so excited. So, the Mm -hmm. recipe in terms of this is, and I love that they didn't balk, right? They're like, here's, you're, here are your rules. You're setting me up. Like, I think the subtext that I'm pulling out within that is like, you are asking this very intelligently. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And so, coming back with the example, I think Fraulein Koss is amazing because I think that, a case could actually be made for her historically being a trans woman. Sure. Hell yes. Right. Um, And so the three things that they are picking out, right, is they're saying the script Mm -hmm. has to stay the same. Mm -hmm. They're saying the pronouns, right? Mm -hmm. The way in which, the way in which others refer to the character. Correct. What I want to dig into is presentation. So... I am going to interpret this as loosely as possible because that suits me. <laughs> and so I'm going to say, you have presentation. So what you're saying is that I'm going to assume that they don't understand what that means. Because I'm just going to assume that they don't understand mm-hmm. what that means. Or, or, or they're using a word that, like, I'm basically not going to ask them to define what presentation means. Because my guess is that they don't actually really know what presentation means. It's such means. a subjective thing. Right? That's right. It's like, just... Does presentation mean passing? That's right. Does it mean that That's right. it has to be choosing a side? Of Are you telling me that all of the... Right. Does that mean that if there is a quote... If there is a female character who does not wear a dress, does that mean she's not presenting as female? Can female characters not wear pants and still be right. presenting? Like... So, to me, that's a very nebulous word that I'm personally going to ignore. Yeah. Um, because I don't, like, what do you mean? I, I can't change their presentation. I think really t- how I'm going to interpret that, um, because I think that this is something that I would not do, is I'm going to play, the, I'm going to have our actors play these parts as they are written. And yeah. Fräulein Cost says certain things. And I'm not going to change what Fräulein Koss says. She's going to present these ideas. She's going to present it a certain way because of how she feels about certain ideas and how she changes depending on, you know, what side of the world she, you know, whether she wants to go along with the fascists or not. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, she can choose that. And I'm not going to change that story arc because that's in the show. And I, I, I wouldn't change it and I'm not going to change it. But, like, could Fräulein Koss wear a three-piece suit? Sure. And I mean, you could, you know, you know, point to Marlena Dietrich, right? My point, right? Yeah. Like, anyone can wear anything. And, in, and, you know, in the 30s, like, there was total precedent for it. Assuming we're even going to set this in the 30s. I don't even know yet. You know what I mean? So, that to me is like, um, that to me is the language of a, uh, like, a legal language that is yeah. being put in because they don't actually know what to say. This, this yes, 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 and I think that as 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 you were saying in your mission statement, this thing like methods yet to be determined. Uh huh. It sort of is the safety net a Correct. little bit for like. Correct. And I doubt because like I'm guessing you know, one of the things I so admire about your um, company is that you're using smaller spaces, mm-hmm. and so like, and I feel like the onus is a little bit not. I mean, like I would doubt that they're like. Whereas they might send a rep out to, right, the, to the Fifth, or Fifth Avenue or Village, they're probably not going to send a probably rep not. out to a 99 I, I know Sondheim in particular is known that he does send out people. So, like, there's possible that people are going to come. Some, some home from Sondheim is going to probably going to come. 
I would assume that they would probably come opening weekend so that if something went awry, they could shut us down. But the fact that I haven't heard anything so far. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Um, so I know that some companies do. Like, I know, like, Edward Albee is a fucking, yeah. has a deal about it. Because this is, yeah. ugh, this I know. is my thing. With these folks, which I haven't been able to get an answer mm-hmm. yet. Uh, and I've tried to find the correct person to ask, mm-hmm. and maybe you can help me with this. But the thing is, for me, is, like, mm, Like, at what point does a licensing organization or copyright get to cover, like, like, and the cat is getting (laughs) riled up, too. But this thing of, like, there are these folks, and I think it's, like, Beckett, Mamet, um, who traditionally are very rigid about not bending the gender of a character in which, and I, like, I do not use cross-gender casting. And the reason I don't use cross-gender casting is I feel like that reinforces a binary of, like, yes. you are crossing from male to female or female to male, sure. and it does not acknowledge others. I More power to folks who use that in an inclusive yeah. way, but that's why I try to be, like, I'm using an all-gender casting lens or a gender-inclusive casting lens. But no, my great. thing is, is, like, there is something about this word presentation, and I know I keep harping on it, but the, no, like... It's- that's the thing is like if I don't do any of this dual due diligence right like if I if I decide in Denver that I am going to do 12 angry men and or waiting for Godot and uh I just cast who I want and again I'm not changing the gender correct of everyone and I'm making sure that everyone is presenting as male (laughs) That that is my question too. Is it like is would it be would it be the would it be the pronouns and the bios that would give people away? Like at what point does how much agency does a playwright have in terms of like I need to look at that person's birth certificate. I need to see that person's driving. And that's license. honestly where I get like for example like last year when we did uh, uh, Little Shop. And we cast a non-binary person as Seymour. Yeah. And Seymour uses he/him pronouns. Yeah. And who the hell is anyone to say? That that's not what a cis male looks like. Right. How are you going to prove that to me? Would you like me to strip my actor? Right. <laughs> so, and that's kind of where, like, that to me is my back pocket of, like, presentation. I'm like, so you're telling me that a cis woman couldn't wear what I'm going to put this person in? Why? Yeah. What are you saying? You're saying women can't wear whatever they want? I mean, I can always sit on that. And, like, yes, that's specious. You know what I mean? Like, I get that. And I also, you know, I I admit that I sometimes use the language of the oppressor, so to speak, in order to get in the room. You weaponize it. Absolutely. I totally do. And I'm able to do that because I am a white person. And I acknowledge that privilege. I am also a non-binary person who passes as female. Okay? So, like, I use that. To my advantage, because it certainly doesn't work to my personal advantage, so it might as well work to my professional advantage for my company, right? Yeah. So, like, I have no problem doing that. Like, but I, so, like, I, I think in the, uh, 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 in the past, I don't know if I've used cross-gender before or not. I might have, with the understanding that people know what that is. And right. even though I know that that's, like, yeah, to your point, like... I don't mean I'm going to be turning men into women and women into men. Right, right. But I know that when I'm talking to a person who's working at a licensing house who probably doesn't know what right. I'm talking about, I can use that language and be like, can I just do this? Yeah. <laughs> and can you just walk, you know what I mean? Um, and sometimes, I was going to say, like, I don't know if I've used it, but I've had it responded like, you are allowed to cross-gender cast. 
Like I've gotten that as my permission and I've been like, all right. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, I mean, to me, especially again, like as I become like as my power increases, (laughs) as I, as I like feel more comfortable with who I am and like what I'm saying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I might, I feel like I personally feel more of the onus to do that educational pivot and be like, Hey, like, thank you for giving us permission. Also, we call it gender inclusive casting. Thank you so much. Blah, blah, blah. Like I feel more comfortable now step like leaning in to do that and I didn't at first mostly because I didn't want anyone to tell me no and so yeah. I kind of you know like I made myself small to do that yeah in the beginning days um and certainly for the first couple of productions yeah. and now I feel a little more like look <laughs> uh you can either let me pay you and your playwright can get a check or you can get no check and that's fine so if we're just going to talk about money you're going to let me do this because I'm not going to change your words. That's not what this yeah. is about. I could write my own show if I wanted to yeah. do a different play. I'm going to do this play. And it's amazing how much you can interrogate within the narrative of a story without changing a darn word. Absolutely. Just by being mindful of the bodies that 100%. are put on stage. And so now I want to kind of pivot, because we had talked about this a little bit before. So, And I appreciate, like, in, especially in... in, in sort of like what got passed back from you talking to Andrea for mm-hmm. Satara presentation, you will be amazed that it is a lot more flexible than you think it is. You yes. just have to find that person, yes. find that representative at yes. the licensing house to have that conversation. And so like to say back, in terms of to say back, so like assuring them that no words are going to be, ch- you know, yes. changed. Yes. That's beat big. one. Right. Yes. And then beat two saying, providing them an example. Ideally you found it most effective to have it be a, a secondary character, which mm-hmm. then you can extrapolate within your mm-hmm. casting magical powers as a mm-hmm. producer. Um, and then have them sign off on the smaller character and then be like, cool. So like, we're going to extrapolate this to the entire cast. And then, um, I guess another thing would be, like, ethically being, like, if they're saying, like, these are the four characters you can't do that with, if that aligns with, like, can you still uh, apply your lens in a way that feels, like, morally, ethically good with your, um, thesis, not thesis, mission as a company, and then move forward. And at the end of the day, it's it's transactional, right? Totally. And I think, to me, you know... Everyone asks, like, you know, what exactly is a reboot? And I, I don't really have an answer. Like, I know it when I see it. Like, if I said, I want to do Cabaret, and they said, yes, but the only person that you can change is Air Schultz, I don't know if I would do it. You know what I mean? Right. Not to say that I couldn't and shouldn't, because I could still, you can still reboot Cabaret by putting it on the moon or underwater or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you can still reboot, but would I, as a company, would that be enough for me? I don't think so. It just wouldn't be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to do cabaret so bad. Like, the reason why I want to do cabaret is because I want to see where context breaks the story. I really want to push it. How far can we go before we're like, I actually don't know what's going on anymore? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we don't yeah. ever want to get to that point because we want to know what's going on. You know, when we did 1776, like, to me, like, the biggest aha moment, we did 1776 traditional. We were all yes, in. I got for- to see it. Yeah, yes! Yeah, yeah. We did it in frock coats. We had right. scene changes. We did, like, we did nothing to it. And it worked so well because yes. y'all were costumed yes. so well. I think so often people are like, love, love, ah, okay, well, we'll put this person in and then, like, 
people don't realize it is a different thing to do to take yes. the body of someone who's assigned yes. female at birth and have colonial garb yes. look sexy and amazing on them. So I just wanted kudos in terms of the production value. Thank you. That elevated it. And please, please thank you. Going. No, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, yeah. Uh, so what I found, so at the, t- at the time it was an all-female cast and a couple of us have come out since then. Like, so now it's like, <laughs> I know. 1776 was the gateway drug for a lot of us. <laughs> it's like, I didn't know who I was until I played a man in heels. Yes. Uh, you know what I'm saying? There's power um, in that. Oh, yeah. God, it was so good. I would, I would do it again. Um, so, in any case, uh, my aha moment for wanting to do more reboot shows was that people saw 1776, and they came up to me and were like, what? still, to this day, they're like, God, I saw 1776, and it was so good. And you know what? After the first five minutes, it didn't occur to me that any of you were women. Exactly. And I'm like, really? Because Benjamin Franklin, as far as we all know, was a cis man. We know this. This is fact. This is not right. like up to interpretation. Like, you know, which is, I feel like is what gets thrown back. It's right. like, this is real. Like in Game of Thrones, it doesn't make sense for a woman to have an opinion because in medieval, like, you know, people try to like right. factualize things. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. Let me give you historical context to dramatize yes. and legitimize colonialism, patriarchy, even yes. though this is getting produced in this day and age. And they're dragons that make them. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and a mermaid doesn't, isn't real. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> You know, so like, yeah, like people, I know that people do that. So the fact that people explicitly said these historical men who existed and were all white, I bought that women and people of color played those parts and I didn't think about it because the story was good and the production was good and the acting was good and it looked great and I just forgot and lived the story and I was like... Really? Yeah. So, so if I can make Ben Franklin a woman, right. <laughs> and, or I, I didn't make Ben Franklin a woman. If I can have a woman play Ben Franklin and it doesn't bother you, what else? Yeah. What else can I do that's not like, you know, we are doing Sweeney Todd. I'm not doing like anything to it. It's the right. same words. Yeah. Like we're putting it in a different, t- we're doing it in modern day, but it's the same story. Hello, car. Um, it's the same story. It's the, like, Sweeney is still, like, a compelling and, and tortured and, br- like, God, Mandy Rose Nichols, who plays Sweeney, is brilliant. <gasps> they are brilliant in this part. And I don't think that Mandy is doing anything so wild to this part beyond right. just acting the shit out of it. Yeah. As this part should be done. You know? They're just, like, they were so compelling. Like, I can't oh, even put the words how chilling and compelling it is and it does it does something like spine tingle worthy to yes. have someone who is not a cis man yes in that role because it makes the jump from loving husband to cold-blooded killer mm-hmm. a longer distance and mm-hmm. i'm more invested right yeah yeah so like so there are two I mean, two points. So there are two levels. There's the, we didn't do anything to it. We just put the best actor in the part for it. But then it's like, okay, yes, we can do that. So for people who just want to live on that surface level, that's totally fine. Art is for everyone. And you can enjoy it at whatever level you're at. But now, so we're talking about casting. And one of the things that I brought up before, it's like, okay, so if I can cast anyone in any part that I want, provided that they are capable of doing that role, what are the optics of it? So now, because, you know, we can pretend that it doesn't matter all we want. Like, we can, like, yes, you're right. Like, 
technically, like, race doesn't exist and gender doesn't exist. Except we all friggin' know that it does. <laughs> like the constructs that's that right. your audience are bring, walking into, in, which they may not even be aware correct. of, are so deeply ingrained. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, we can, you know what I mean? Like, and I think that it is irresponsible for any artist to discount that. I think it's irresponsible to not acknowledge that your audience is going to walk in, socialize the way most people are socialized. And I... you have to think about it. (laughs) So, for example, we have cast a black woman as Joanna. Joanna is a 16-year-old girl who is sexualized and kidnapped by a man in this show. If I cast a black... I'll take it back. If I cast a white person as Joanna, I cannot, I think, I mean, people can do what they want, Reboot is not going to cast a person of color in the role of the judge who sexualizes and brutalizes a little white girl. Because we can all say, like, it doesn't matter. They say the best. Yeah, but back on Earth, putting more representation of a, like, a, a, a person, a male person of color who can't control his sexuality right. on a white little girl, uh-uh. It should not be done. I don't care... I don't care. <laughs> end of sentence, end of story. So we ended up casting a, you know, a, 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 a black woman as Joanna. Um, and we actually cast Judge Turpin first. And w- as soon as they were like, this is who I kind of want for Turpin, like the first thing I said was, then we are not considering a white person for this role. Yeah. Um, as it, like, that, you know, like, because uh, we actually had, Tur- uh, we had Judge Turpin auditions first I think so like we hadn't seen all the Joannas but I was like you can put that as your forerunner but then I want you when you're watching all these people like that is just something you have to keep in mind and you can change your mind and you can pick another person but you absolutely have to that's the domino effect yes and you have to think about it you have to think about it um and then Cammy walked in and we were like oh well that's Joanna end of story wasn't she gorgeous oh her voice her voice I know I've not heard that role sung that well yeah. Period, and I've seen at least half a dozen. You know what I mean? Cami uh, was amazing, but that was just a consideration that I was like, just before we, you know, pick anything like that is just something we have to do. Now, yeah. in terms of like gender, okay, so if we cast, um, like, what would happen if Love It was played by a man, which was something we considered. We had people, we had men come in for Love It. What does that do to Sweeney? And love its relationship because now love it is played by a man, and even though in the show this is happens to be a person who goes by she/her pronouns, and you know he sings a woman alone. I mean, yeah. that's real. That's all going to be. But again, I now have to extrapolate to the audience. So what does that look like? That now we have love it, who is now trying to manipulate someone who isn't a man into being her husband and keeping, you know what I mean? Like there's just, there's just optics that you just have to, you know, keep in mind. And one of the things that we, uh, we were talking about before we started recording is I think, um, a lot of this too, before even the optics is looking at the core of each character and being like, what are the parameters? Like versus what I think, because a lot of times what you're pre- conceived parameters of a character are are they're actually a lot more narrow than they need to be and so like one of the examples that we used is like okay Sweeney Todd 
you know, and it's this acting exercise. Like, what is said about you, what others say about you, and, like, stuff that's in the stage directions or whatever. So someone who can sing this, like, baritoner role uh, who needs to be believable on stage as 35 or older or, like, mid-30s. And it's like that, that exercise of doing that for each role. And yes. like Joanna needs to be believable as a right. 16 year old right. and has to right. hit a soprano range. Like, yes. And like taking the gender and the age and ethnicity and race out of it, ability, you know, like disability or not, as much as possible. And then just seeing like what are the bare bones that are left. And then you were saying you had a, like close to 150 people who came out for this. Correct. And you have to take off those identifiers yes. that are preconceived notions yes. and then just look at people like it's data mining, like it's a yes. freaking pool <laughs> and you're like, cool. Yes. So of this 150 people, we have X many viable Sweeney's. Right. Now let's move That's to the right. optics a That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, to go back to Joanna, like we actually, we did have men go out for Joanna. We had them sing Joanna just to see like, okay, what would that look like? What if Joanna yeah. is a young, a young, you know what I mean? Like, why not? Yeah. You know? And... Again, pretty much once Cammy sang, it was kind of over. But like, but you know what I mean? But like, but we thought about that. Okay. So now we're like, okay. So now Joanna is being played by, and again, like, you know, if, if we had cast a man, uh, as Joanna or a non-binary person as Joanna, what are, what are we going to, like, I'm not going to put a cis man in a dress. Right. Which means, and you know, you or I know that anyone can wear anything, but my audience is, if I cast a cis male as Joanna and don't put the cis male in a dress, they're going to read that as a cis, you know what I mean? Like maybe an effeminate man, but still a man. That's just how that's going to read. And I know that. So what is the trickle down effect of that? Right. What does that mean now? So does that mean that the judge is like closeted gay and is ashamed of that? And how does that change? And like, I think that that's okay in the show. Like, I think that it holds it. But how does that change that actor's interpretation of Judge Turpin? Do you think intrinsically you need to, one, if one is committed or curious about inclusive casting practices, yeah. which I hope y'all are if you're, li- if you're listening to this, I think this is like right. the 131st episode of us, you know, like. <laughs> We've got, you know, like, this is several <laughs> years, and, you know, myself as an artist and the guests that we've had on the show have evolved. Um, do you think that you need to intrinsically build in more time to try out yes. and see those folks? And can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. So, to me, um, it's all in the pre-audition discussion that you have with the director. So, uh, I always speak with the director before we go into auditions. One, because, you know... In Julia's case, who isn't a reboot like staff, and by staff I mean someone who volunteers their time to help me. Right. Um, you know what I mean? Who isn't necessarily like in the reboot company? Like I had to, you know, like I know what a reboot looks like. I know what the, re- the uh, you know, as an artistic director, like that's my job, and so I need to onboard this person to be like, I'm so. Before you walk into this audition room, what I'm gonna need you to understand is. Do not walk in with a preconceived notion of what your characters look like. If yes. you want a Sweeney who is more quiet and introspective, that's fine. But literally any human being can do that, right? It's the qualities, not that's the right. Objects. So let's talk about what you want in this character. And it's like this when we put... So once we have that conversation, then we're crafting our audition notice, right? So when I write, Sweeney Todd is... A man who was sent away 
who blah, 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 like description of character. And then when I say actor requirements, I'm like, what are the actor requirements? Like you said, this is an actor who needs to hit, and I will say needs to hit this range of notes. And this is an actor who, like you said, needs to read mid-30s at the young, you know, mid-30s or older. You know what I mean? Or older. And those are the actor requirements for this part that is, that like, the part has requirements, but the actor doesn't really have any. Like, besides, again, like, I want this show to make sense. If we cast a 20-year-old as Sweeney Todd with a kid who's older, as old as or older than him, the show makes no sense and is weird. And then we'll take the audience out of the art. And that's not what we're trying to do. I mean, I think that the audience... I take that back. It's not that we're... I don't want people. I don't want the audience to be confused by the story. The story should be the boat that is solid. That's the like you know like that is the that is the foundation. Right. We like we need to all follow the story or else why? Yeah, you know what I mean. But I do. I would love for people to be able to watch an actor be brilliant, and then realize, oh my god, I've never like. But Sweeney is a cis man, and that's not who I watched. And I was still moved. So in that sense, like, they can, I guess, get out of it. You know, like, take themselves out of the uh, 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 of the space or, like, of the experience. But I don't want it to be because they're like, what? <laughs> I don't understand it. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah. So in crafting audition notices, like, I make, I make it very clear to the director. And I work with the director. I'm like, you need it. Like, let's describe what the characters are. And actors will self-select. I mean, no actor, I mean, I, I, I feel like, you know, people get worried of like, but what if like, you know, an actor lies and says that they're this or that? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I can't stop everyone from lying, but I don't know. You know what I mean? But like, if I have a glut of cis men who run in and look me straight in the eye and say, I'm a woman when they know that they're not, like, I don't know. I'll, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. But Actors will self-select. They know what parts they're good for. Yeah. You know what I mean? Actors don't want to look like idiots. You know what I mean? So they will self-select. They will pick, you know, we always, on our, on our audition sheets, we say, what roles would you like to be considered for? And if there is a, and will you accept any other role? And if there is a person who says, I want to be considered for these two male parts, end of story, then those are the parts that we'll consider them for. You know what I mean? So again, like I allow the actor, like what are you comfortable being on stage? If you are a trans man and you are not comfortable being anything other than a male part, then you shouldn't do, like no one should ask that person to do that. Ever. I mean, of anyone really. If a cis male was like, I don't want to be, go on stage in a female role ever. They shouldn't. Like that's easy. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? And actors, I like, I don't know, like, again, maybe that's naive, but I feel like let the actors self-select that. What you can control is, a, you know, when talking to your director, it's like, okay, who do you, like, you know. I think there's, I think there's a mind shift, too, in actors, because um, we are so trained as actors, especially actors who are socialized as female or assigned female at birth, I think. Uh, largely more so, uh, not yes. to be perceived as quote unquote difficult. Yeah, involved. I know. You are perceived it's as the a truth. difficult actor, <sighs> and so one of the hardest things for me personally has been um, giving myself permission to want more and better for myself in terms mm-hmm. of the roles for which I am considered and the roles for which 
you know, actually go in for that call back Mm -hmm. and whatnot. But then also very clearly defining that line for myself between, because sometimes it is paper thin between I want to have agency for myself. Yes. I want to self-advocate, but I don't want to be perceived as difficult. Or there have been some times where I'm just like, the audition process has gone so south where it's like, I don't care if this person <laughs> thinks I'm difficult yeah, anymore. Yeah, sucks. Yeah. Like, going up to the line and being polite and being assertive and, like, they're not listening yeah. to the self-advocacy, agency, right. assertiveness part. So i got to ramp this up and I need to not be polite. Because I think what bothers me more than anything else is this mandate. Because, I mean, like, Edie and I, equity, diversity, and inclusion – it's a buzzword, right? Like, yes. these are things that we are talking about in the theater industry as a whole, which we should be, absolutely. But the part is, the part that sends me up the wall is I feel too much, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this too, too much we privilege the feelings or the hurt feelings of those in positions of power hmm. when they screw up, when they're right. not getting stuff right. Yes. And then we put it all on... Or we are so harsh in terms of the marginalized voices who are then trying to advocate and have been pushed past the point of politeness. Right. I think there's this yeah. expectation like, oh yeah, you can stand up for yourself, you can educate as long as you are polite. Right. And I'm like, yes. politeness only gets you so far. Mm-hmm. And I just, can you, I know this is a bit of like maybe a left-hand turn, but like, mm-hmm. can you speak to that? Like, it sends me up the wall because it's like, oh, oh, we have to give people the space to fail forward. And I'm yes. like, yes, we do need to give you the space to fail forward, but you better, you bet your ass you best be paying the marginalized voices mm. that you are bringing in to take on the emotional and intellectual and psychological labor yes, of yes. helping folks who aren't moving as quickly as they freaking need to yes. fail forward, stumble forward. 100%. And I think that, like, to me... I think that it's like everyone is doing their best and if you want your message to get across, like how are you going to convince me that I should include you if you're so bossy? (laughs) And that attitude, like I'm just like, all right. Uh, And again, and this is where, you know, like I'm a very privileged trans person. Right. I'm a white person. I am in a marriage with a spouse who accepted me from the day one and probably knew before I did. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am financially stable. Like, I have a lot of extra, like, vessel to right. take the bile. Yeah. And so, you know, but... which. Uh, so I personally am willing to kind of wade through that because I have all of these like again, like I said, I have all this extra armor that right. were just afforded to me by a society because of who I am, yes. and I accept that, and I am grateful for it. And I also, because I have all this privilege, it means that I also have blind spots. Right. Right. Um, so, I would say that, like, if you have privilege in any way, then you need to use up your goodwill that people give you by virtue of your privilege to speak on behalf of people who do not have that goodwill that is just intrinsically given to them, which means nothing. 
<laughs> but only because that's what society says. So like that to me, like, I don't, you know, because I, I, I think you're right. I think that people in power at the top are afraid of the revolution because they don't want to be, I, I like, you know, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but like they don't want to be guillotined, right? And they don't yeah. want to be called out and called, you're racist and transphobic. Like they don't want, nobody wants to be called that. Nobody wants to be called sexist. And the thing of it is, I think that, you know, I think that there is a perception that if you're nice, that means you're not prejudiced. And that's not true. Like, in fact, probably most people who are nice, <laughs> I mean, everyone is prejudiced, you know what I mean? And I think it's like, but I'm nice. Like I have blank friends. I saw so-and-so in an audition and I was perfectly nice to them. And what is the thanks I get? And that attitude needs to be challenged and it needs to be challenged by marginalized people with privilege because yeah. I think that we need to be doing the majority of that labor. Now, um, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is other than like when you hear it, like as, when you hear it and you say something like you have to make the choice to like to spend those I don't know. I just, again, like your spoons. good. Yeah. Spend your spoons. Spend those goodwill points. Yeah. You know, like, because you will be listened to because like, again, like language of the oppressor, like they want to have the one good one so that they feel good about you. Like, this is a really shitty way to say this, but it's like the friggin' way it is. And I'm yeah. saying, and I'm not telling you if you cannot fulfill this role because it is too emotionally hard for you, don't do it. I'm not saying that everyone is, is, is required to do it. I'm saying if you have the privilege to do it, then you need to like get in the door and if you have to get in the door by being kind of in, you know, like, oh, brr, brr, about it, like I say, do it. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to. And it's not that I'm not willing to call out, but I know that like, I can't call out anyone if I'm not in the room with them. I can't call out anyone if they're not willing to talk to me. And so, you know, I don't know, like, I'm sure that that's, I'm sure not everyone like shares that point of view. I'm sure like, I don't know, maybe that's a mistake on me. Maybe that's not the way to do it. But I have found that like, if I can talk to someone face to face like this and say, right. Hey, so at your audition table, when you ask someone what their preferred pronouns is, I get it. You're trying to do a good thing. It's not the way you say it. You just ask, what are your pronouns? That's it. And if you're able to get that close to say that, like, yeah, they want to, you know, like <laughs> it, 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 it's one way to get in. Now, if they keep doing it, and they refuse to train and they start using you as a prop, then I think that, you know, you're also under obligation to maybe to like to cancel it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And I haven't, you know, I'm not that, I haven't gotten that far up. Really. No, same. You know same. what I'm saying? So like, I don't know, you know, and who's to say what'll happen when you're in that room? I mean, you just hope that you're not the person who stays quiet during the, you know, like the, the experiment where they're like pretending to shock people. Yeah. You know what I mean? I forget what that experiment is. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you don't want to yeah, be that yeah. person who doesn't say anything because you don't want to be, you don't want to be impolite. So it's, I'm not saying like be polite so you can work your way up to the top. Like it's more that like, again, it is going to be assumed that I am polite because I am white. That's just real. They don't know me yet. <laughs> They don't know that I curse and they don't know that I have opinions, but like, I'm happy to use that to get into that room. Um, and I think that, you know, I think that people should, and I think that that's where the majority of the work should be because the people who can't use that, like they're the ones who get the majority of the shit. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like that's where it is. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I, yeah, I don't have all the answers for that. I'm still, yeah, no, it's you know, messy, right? Like, <laughs> I'm it's still not kind of learning it. Point and we're all like trying to figure this out together, hopefully. You, you know if, what I mean? If we're, if we're doing the work. I want to like bring it, we want to bring it back into Sweeney and then open it up in terms of like practical advice for folks who like are interested in, 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 in pivoting their lens towards more, um, gender inclusivity um but in terms of like okay so now like going back in time you have your badass sweeney cast Mm -hmm. um what have you found in terms of like i know in 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 general you're producing in smaller spaces but in terms of like the bottom line like Mm -hmm. folks come out and buy tickets for this yes they do i'm stoked about that yes um so I think uh, it's another good point. I think that people are also afraid to take artistic risks because they're worried that people aren't going to, like, well, I don't want to see that. I want to see the traditional thing. And I think that, I don't think that that's true. (laughs) Um, I think that, you know, people might come to our Sweeney and be like, that was interesting, but I like the traditional one better. That's fine. But people are, like, curious and they want to see you know, now, you know, because I'm at a smaller venue and because I'm, you know, we charge 25 bucks a ticket. So worst right. case, someone doesn't like it and they're out like, you know, whatever. They're out dinner one night yeah. eating out somewhere, Yeah. you know, as opposed to like, you know, the bigger houses where they're like, yeah, we're charging people $125 and if they don't like it, they're going to be mad. Yeah. You know, and I think that that is personal. Like I still don't buy it. I think it's like, let them be mad. Art is not here to like always make you happy. To soothe you. Yeah. Yes. It's okay if you're a little bit mad. You paid to be to experience something, and you're not always guaranteed that every experience, every art experience that you had, is gonna make you feel good about yourself. Right. Like, and I, 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 I think bigger houses, like, and you know, again, like, I'm, I'm not at the top, so I don't know. Like, you know, at the end of the day, like, you want to make sure that the people you employ still have jobs and you want to make sure that you can still pay the rent on your theater and blah, 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 blah. So like, I get all that, but I think that we don't give audiences enough credit. I friggin' cast Benjamin Franklin with a woman and nobody was like, how dare you? Nobody. (laughs) No one was mad about it. Right. So I don't know. And if they are mad about it, then that's what your friggin' patron services people are. And then you can train them and be like, hey, you know what? I'm sorry that upset you. We're doing My Fair Lady next. Yeah. Would you like to come and see My Fair Lady? I promise we're not going to make you think about it. I mean, whatever. Like, you know, you have the ability to do that. I get to do... I only can afford to do one show a year. You know? So, like, if I had... Like... You know what I mean? Like, I I, I don't know. Like, it's people who are way more... People who are smarter than me, I'm sure could speak to exactly how, but I would love for there to be a way, you know, for theaters to not like put together the season, which is like the golden age war horse that everyone will come and see that we're going to do a historical reenactment of (laughs) the diversity show where we put all of our like, you know, marginalized actors in to show that we're doing the good work, you know, and then like your straight, like your straight play, and then you're like educational play that you can have the schools come to. You know what I mean? So you do Anne Frank, you do Carousel, you do, you know, friggin' Smoky Joe's. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that you can get, you know, when you're like, or like a blues show, because that shows that we're diverse or whatever the hell you do. You know what I mean? 
And then you do whatever, like, you know, Hamlet. Yeah. Like, that's a season that people do. And, like, having those slots, like, I, I you know, I... I don't know. I don't have the data, but I wonder, like, do those seasons, those do those predictable seasons, like, do they make money? I don't know. Maybe they don't. Like, maybe the problem isn't getting millennials in. Maybe it's because millennials are over it. Because <laughs> millennials, I mean, like, you know, the market research has shown, like, millennials, like, we don't buy subscriptions. Like, right. I think part of it is, like, yes. yeah, we're too busy buying avocado toast. Exactly. And worrying about our student loans. But totally. <laughs> also, I think it's, I think we're seeing a shift with millennials and younger, not to say like generation X and higher doesn't have this, but I feel I want to go see a, sh- I'm probably going to go see a show either one, because I know someone in it or I yes. want to support someone's work or two, I want to support the ethics yes. that went behind casting and choosing and curating this show. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be really interesting as the donor base gets younger, that companies are gonna sort of have to play catch up in terms of their programming real quick because yeah. millennials are looking for they're not looking at your season as a whole like right. that's been proven like mm. we're not looking at your season as a whole we're looking at each show as an experience that we're opting in or out of and so what are you gonna do like I think millennials can be too polite sometimes in terms of asking about what they want want to see in content. But gosh darn it, the generation coming up behind us sure as heck isn't. Like they right. are as they are queerer than yes. any generation and they are demanding to see that stuff. Yeah. Not only from their training programs, but on on stages. And so I think that pivots into like what are you I mean, having produced in this way, mm-hmm. like I like to say like walking the talk, like for as long as you have, like what are your like Let's say there's someone at another fringe theater or at a mid-level theater that's listening to this and has some agency over season curation or casting or reaching out to the pool of folks that gets to create art at their stage. And they're trying to find a way, like, what is your, like, practical couple steps that you could offer them in terms of if they want to leverage their privilege to make their next season the most inclusive yet? Um, I will say this. Because I want to clarify this. Yes. When I say use your privilege to make art, I'm not saying that if you don't have societal privilege that you shouldn't. Right. Um, I'm saying that specifically when you are speaking truth to power is right. where I'm saying you should leverage privilege. Man, that's... Put that on with like red leather or yellow. Yeah. Um, in terms of making it, fucking anyone can do it. And everyone should. I don't care who, you know what I mean? Like, you can and you should. I would say that, like, the biggest and the most obvious issue um, is it costs money to do shows. Right. Uh, it, it is expensive to do shows, especially musicals. Um, and the reason, there are a lot of reasons. One, you obviously you have to pay for a venue. That is a third of our budget. Another third of our budget is paying for the rights. And depending on the yes, yeah. um, depending on the size of your venue, your rights will go up or go down. Right. So that is where like that's where the wall is. If I can't pay for a theater, I don't know. Now that being said, uh, I am. There are people who are very good at like the found space scenarios. 
Um, I'm not. I just don't know where to begin. That's just not what I do. I also, if you do found space, that means you're going to have to figure out lights, uh, which I'm not, like, yeah. I'm not a tech person, so I don't right. really have that. But, I don't know. I know there was a company that just did proof and literally did it on people's porches. Yeah. They just asked, like, can you give us your porch and we'll just do it. Like, amazing. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And it was a bilingual production. I mean, like, oh, God, I wish I remember what company did it. I'm sorry, whoever you are, <laughs> but you're great. Um, so, you know what I mean? Like, so... You know, but if you want to like, no, I want a theater and I want to do it in a theater. Like the biggest cost you're going to find is you're going to have is the rights and, and, and the venue. The next biggest thing is that musicians generally, um, uh, are better at advocating for pay (laughs) than actors are. Uh, so, you know, my musicians are probably the highest paid in my shows because I can't, I need that skill. Yeah. You know what I mean? That skill that takes, I mean, you know, I don't know. This is like going to get into a whole thing. Like I'm not saying that actors don't right. take skill and directors yeah. don't take skill and lighting and blah, blah, blah. But musicians like for, you know, they're in a slightly different market because it's just a different way of doing things. So they're paid every time they show up. Right. Um, per service. And so how many shows are you going to do? How many shows can you afford to do? I mean, when we did 1776, we only did three, might've been four performances. And that was it, because that's all I could afford to pay anyone. Um, so that being said, uh, like, get, I mean, you're going to have to raise some money. And I think that that is just true across the board. Now, if you want to start working out relationships, if you find, like, there's a theater who has off nights. Like, we're always dark on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. You, you know, we're paying for it anyway. You know, I mean, like, do a reading. Do it, you know, or, you know, like if you pick a show that, um, doesn't require like a lot of set or like rethink about like how much set do you really need? Maybe like if you, like if you're in a space where like you can use our space, but you have to load in and load out every night, it's like, all right, can we do the show with a table and four chairs and we just have to bring it in every day? Like that's annoying, but Hey, let's do it. So like I would, you know, obviously like there are the go the, the Kickstarters and Indiegogo's of the world. Um, to get that, but like that is going to be the biggest hit. Yeah. Um, and that's like practical and fe- like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like without, that's like an object, uh, uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> like that's just objectively something you have to do. Um, in terms of the art of it, you can do it and people yeah. will come think, to it. I think I was you know unclear I mean? in my question. Okay. And I think this hypothetical, but I think everything that you shared is super yeah. valuable. Like this hypothetical person, like someone who, is within an institution already ah. that has. So we're not, like, the space isn't an issue. The, like, they might have some, they might be able to bend someone's ear about season curation. But really, like, and it's my bad for not wording the question well. Oh, no, no, but, no like, we're talking earlier about the space between, like, inclus- the inclusive casting notice and then how that drops out between the notice and who we actually see Get on in the stage. room. Yeah, so in terms of, like, folks in that situation, being able to leverage their privilege within an organization to, like, bend the ear of gatekeepers to actually consider more seriously marginalized I understand folks. now. So, yeah. I, don't, I hate to, like, keep qualifying myself. Yeah. If you're already in an institution, then you're in <laughs> the institution. Right. I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't prejudices, but, like, I was, when I was saying that, like, I use my privilege to get into rooms, I don't work for another company. I'm an independent right. person yes. who sometimes people are now asking, like, hey, Jazz, like, I was thinking about doing this. What do you think? And how can I do this in the right way? 
And like as an independent person, like that's kind of a different beast. If you are already working there and they're already asking you, then then hell yeah. I would say that like, oh, that is so hard. That's really hard because, you know, the institution is the institution. Um, And I would just say that you should absolutely speak up and say, you know, like people like people want to see this show. And I think that it's okay if some people are disappointed by it. Um, And I think that I think that if you're in the room where you have a director and a music director who are looking at a cast that are um, quote unquote traditional and you happen to be in a room and have the ability to be like, would you consider this person? And just ask questions. Because I think that when you ask questions... Curiosity is huge. Absolutely. And it makes... And then, you know, again, you can be kind of like coy about it if they say like, oh no, well, Sweeney Todd has to be a man. And you say, why? And not... You don't have to accuse them. Well, why? Like, why? Well, just because that's the way it's always done. Okay. But don't you think so-and-so would be good? And if you're, you know what I mean? Like, if you come from that place of question and, like, see where they get defensive and weird about it. Yeah. And, you know, like, sometimes they won't. But, like, I've had those kind of conversations with people and I've seen the moment of, like, huh, I don't know why. Because I was told that. And now we're talking here. It's like, well, you were told that, but this is your show. You're the director. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that, like, as artistic director in the room, because I don't cast the show, like, my directors cast their show, but I'm in the room to say, like, okay, you like these four people. These are four people of this same type. So that's okay. You can still have them. You have six other parts. How are you going to balance out these four people? I'm just asking. Have you considered this person? Do you need me to find more people of color? Do you need me to find more transgender people for you to to see? Do you need another round of auditions? Do you need, is it just this part that we're looking for? Like, how can I help you make a more rounded cast? And I do that groundwork. I mean, it'd be great if the directors did the groundwork, but I, again, I'm not paying anyone enough money to make them do that. And I'm passionate about that. So I am stoked to do that. And I don't know everyone. So I take it upon me. I'll be like, you know, like I go see, you know, I have kids and it's hard for me to go out. Everyone's like, well, let's go and see plays and see who's good. Like I can't do that financially all the time because I have to pay for a sitter or I have to leave my spouse in the position to constantly be watching our kids. And I would like my spouse and would like to see Mike, (laughs) you know what I mean? So like, I'm not always able to go see shows, but I'm like, Hey, I know so-and-so worked on that show. You know what I mean? Like you, you basically, you start using your own personal network and it's just questions. And I think that you should be asking that question of every single show you cast, not just Hairspray, where you find yourself in the awkward position of never having worked with a black actor before. <laughs> or doing Rocky, where all of a sudden you're like, God, I, I don't know any queer people, which is like, would be outrageous to me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like either of those scenarios like are outrageous. If you get to that play that you've chosen where you need those types of actors and you don't have any, then you're not ready to do that play because you didn't cast them in Oklahoma and you didn't cast them in our town. You're going to wait for your diversity play to find them? Big fail. You don't have to wait. And that is something that everyone at every level, no matter what your mission 
statement is, is should do. I don't want to only get called in when you need a trans person. I, there, you know what I mean? Like, Cammy doesn't only want to get called in when you need someone for Carolina change. She absolutely has every right to be seen for Joanna. She's saying the shit out of it. She deserves that. Mandy is a non-binary person and is killing it <laughs> as Sweeney. <laughs> and shouldn't have, you know what I mean? And shouldn't only be called in for roles that fit what the establishment says that they should fit. And that is work that everyone can do no matter what you look like and who you are. And I, for every single show. Every single show. So that, yeah, like I, I feel super strongly about that. Because what, I, what is annoying is when people who, like, <laughs> who are in these communities suddenly get a call. Hi, so I need, you know, these boxes clicked. Do you know any? And I know that, like, and I've heard this from people of color a lot. Who are like, nobody talks to me until they need someone of my ethnicity. And now all of a sudden I'm important and I know everything. But nobody does Romeo and Juliet and then calls me and says, hey, do you know anyone who could kill it yeah. as whatever, as yeah. this part? And that, I think, is where people in the people who are actually working in these upper institutions, which I have never done, so you know, this is just like my theory, that's where you can start doing it. That's where you can start doing that work. Because if you ask that question of every show, regardless of what the show is, then when you... Like, people are going to want to work for you because they know that, they, that you see them as an artist who is good and you can do anything. And, like, yes, like, you know, there are people who do want to play roles that look like and have the experiences of who they are. Of course they do. But also, like, I don't know, wouldn't you want to play Harold Hill? I do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, everyone should want to play Harold Hill. That's a great friggin' part. Yeah. Everyone should be able to do that. Everyone should play Willie Loman. Yeah. Why not? You know what I mean? Let's see. And maybe it doesn't work. I don't know. There's some shit. Like, please never do an all-white Raisin in the Sun. Don't do it. I don't care if those actors are the best actors in the world. Don't do that show. Right. Please don't do Fences if you don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but, yeah. you know, like, but don't wait for those plays before you realize that you've been using the same six white people or the same six cis people over and over again, and they suddenly, like, darn it, like, the script made me not use my favorites. Like, it ain't the script's fault. That's your fault. So, yeah. I just want to hear you talk forever and ever, but we should probably um, wind this down a little bit. Um, So, rebootheater.org. Yes, rebootheater.org. Sweeney tickets. Sweeney Todd. Come and see it. it. It, let me tell you, You've never seen Sweeney Todd like this <laughs> before. You may have seen Sweeney, but you haven't seen our Sweeney. And it's a lot of fun. Like, it is, it's, just, yeah. it's just different. And it's, the pacing is different. And I'll tell you something else. It's the funniest Sweeney Todd you've ever seen. Yes. Like, it's, it's freaking hysterical. Never is Sweeney Todd this funny. And that doesn't mean we don't pack a punch. So definitely come. Rebootheater.org. Yes. What, what parting words do you want to leave us with? Oh man! I'll leave it open to you if it's a line, if it's a call to action, if it's just a, um, a sound. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would just say, like, keep an open mind when you are an audience member, and keep an open mind when you're an artist, because I think that you know, especially in musical theater because the types are so strong and they've been written by the same kind of person for so long. Um, question that. 
in small ways, in big ways, in quiet ways, in loud ways, internally, externally. Question it. Yeah. You heard it here, folks. Question, question <laughs> all our. <laughs> Jasmine, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Thank you.